Finally, he asked me to take a bloody law and we all take a bloody month. Well, learning about his art during the course of that month was long time for scholarship. I discovered, well, that I, if I wanted to find Mishnayonit, I could do that. So as a result of that, at the end of after finishing, after finishing a bonus hour for Mishnayonit, I went on in another couple of months, Mishnayonit, which uh, began uh, Seder Tanshin. And I picked, up, uh, I picked it up in Seder Tanshin, and I've continued it ever since. The result being that right now I'm about to finish a uh, one uh, one sequel, one box score of Shisukri uh, Mishnah, not from the beginning, obviously, uh, but I uh, wouldn't use the word of the But that is something that somewhat indirectly rationalizes. Uh, the last Mishnah of the Holy Ones, the end of the season, discusses the question of presidency so far in the different states. Opens up Kohen, 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 Kohen sets precedence over a city, maybe in the south, Israel, the mountain, or under the team. And the team is a, uh, quite the, uh, the Mishnah refers to people, mean these are like the people who came to know, first was the Mushroom, then to Yehoshua, and decided to take the Sha'aretz, and basically tricked, by deception, got themselves accepted into the Torah, and when the deception was discovered, they were, the team, they were given into a special position because of the general suspicion of them, which eventually threw itself out. Or in the case of uh, Suffolk, Suffolk, the Matim, the Gerigera, and the Matim, however, does have a certain uh, uh, precedent over a girl, over a person. The Gerigera, however, over a man who is I'm 
said, it's okay, they're here. Meaning that he felt that letting them in on a little of the truth, since they were committed to murder the Torah, would not be a problem. And that's how it was. The students had a great appreciation for what he was able to give them and share with them. Uh, but I'd like to talk to you tonight about is this notion of being well-grounded that Dr. Sober mentioned to his And then Moshe responded, I didn't know that until I heard you, you tell it, but I think it's a telling response. Moshe said, Rabbi Rabbi said, for Yeshiva Bokhah, a well-rounded. Well, what is what is it that Jewish education, Torah education, which more and more is with us today, but what is Torah education demand? Like, how well-rounded should a person be? Or, alternatively, what is well-rounded? Now, you know that in the Yeshiva world, which, I mean, I would say the Yeshiva world is over there, I very much personally see myself as part of that world, and I appreciate it. But everybody knows that the Yeshiva world, since the writing of the Bethlehem, I have to watch it, but there's sort of like an ideological aspect uh, of the Yeshiva world, which at those times pretty much consists of what but today consists of endless numbers of Yeshiva, which is something that is a fact. I mean, if the world would think that if somebody would set up a school where the only thing they would promise you is that you would never be able to earn a living, do you think, you think that school would be a big hit? That it would spawn hundreds of other schools just like each buying to claim that their students really can't afford that So not only don't they know anything practical, but they are totally out of it. Right? <laughs> but, but it's hard to imagine that in the uh, several hundred years past since the Shiva world was established, that this has become such an ongoing hit that people more and more want to be involved in helping them, even though the practical implications of that involvement are devastating. I mean, actually, now it's true that a lot of people in Yeshiva are forced to do something. You know, because eating lunch is, uh, is, is a practical need that people have, but eventually, Decide, many of them decide that they want to eat lunch. Nevertheless, the system that educates people to be incapable, incompetent, and unable to earn their way through life, one would think that that system would be an automatic failure. But you know, we Jews have done a couple of strange things now and then in history, but I suppose. This is another fundamental So I think that when Moshe said, the total when he said, I'm well-rounded, I don't think he meant that I'm going to be able to go and earn a lot of money. I think he meant that I can think about things. And he said, well, what about thinking about things? Like, what is it that we're supposed to be thinking about? So the Zeshachai, the Zeshachai, the book that I mentioned, the ideological groundwork, of the Yeshiva thinking, and Nebuchadnezzar is a big book, and not all the book is relevant to this particular question in some of the books. So Nebuchadnezzar thinks that what we should be doing in our lives is firming up and clarifying our relationship with Yerushalayim. We should be thinking about our relationship with God. And that not only takes precedence over the that takes up all the space. There is nothing else. I mean, somebody who is really involved in thinking about his or her 
except it does blend in. The second figure to that was that this relationship to absolute growth is entirely contained in the age of human. Now this in spite of the fact that the Debrechenite itself was not about the Gemara, but exactly as any dealt with his Rob, and as a Rob he had to do with his problem. But you know, everything is exaggerated. We talk in an exaggerated way. Each of you will try to resolve it in a more reasonable manner than that should by itself. And this relationship, this relationship that we have with the French book, is found Now that is a very nice thing to say, but kind of a difficult thing to work out. Those who learn Gemara, I suppose everybody on this side is learning Gemara. Some people on that side have learned Gemara. Some people know that they have learned Gemara. Know that Gemara is not easy. Right? Gemara is not easy. By the time you finish learning a bit of Gemara, you're kind of uh, usually in a kind of confused state. So it says like this, something else like that, and the third person tries to resolve it, and the fourth person says the resolution is not acceptable. And this just can go on apparently endlessly. Right? The resolution, anti resolution, I don't want to say it's a gaily, it's at least what we do. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many people feel that this, I mean, when I describe it, I admit that the description is so lacking, I have done learned before a lot of good, but uh, I mean, it's hard to understand what the 75 meant. When he said, this is the relationship we have. Well, I can say the words. I can say those words and say, if God had a thought, so to speak, of the other, that thought is represented in the pages of the Torah. But certainly grabbing onto that thought seems to be a religious act that is unparalleled. Right? Because it's not just the idea of connecting to God, but it's connecting to something tangible and real that, that God has. So the Nebuchadnezzar was the one, perhaps, I don't mean he's the only one who thought about it, but I mean that the book, which then was disseminated far and wide, became the kind of, uh, the, 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 the principle on which all yeshiva uh, education was based. And that principle was, you're not going anywhere, there isn't any place to go, this is the best of the best. There's nothing that could be better than sitting in the yeshiva and learning Gemara, which, you know, as I said in, in the beginning, I am I'm partial to that. And I hope that having put in a lot of years doing that, that you certainly love to write with me. But there's this idea, this idea that, uh, that what we do, what we do in the yeshiva, like sitting, Learning with a person right now to stand is the most important thing that could ever be done. You understand that this is a radical departure from any other kind of school that we may have attended. Because when you go to school, they say, We're going to teach you something. And the reason that we're going to teach it to you is that you should go out and apply it and do it and make it work someplace else, not in school. I mean, nobody wants to stay in school forever. Yeshiva is different. Everybody wants to stay in Yeshiva forever. Or, in that sense, that statement is statistically unbearable. I would say that Yeshivas teach that staying in Yeshiva forever is the best possible option. It's true. Not everybody is able to do it. But everybody learns that that's the idea of Yeshiva. So we'll see. According to the definition, that there really is no need to engage other kinds of things. There's no need to learn philosophy, and there's no need to learn humanities, and there's really no need to learn science. But this doesn't mean this doesn't mean that humanities and science are not good things. Don't produce good results. I mean. Everybody understands that doctors have opportunity 
and, and the doctor is trained to give them this help. And that certainly is not something that you can pay for, which is a quid pro quo. This is an act of chesed that is, that is unparalleled. It's unparalleled in the world that we live in. And so that there's no, when I say that in the yeshiva, in the yeshiva they say, just learn the Torah and don't do anything else. That doesn't mean that there's a disdain for the people who are doing something else. Not at all. Everybody understands that doctors are people of great significance who actually help other people in, in remarkable and wondrous ways. But if the question is, if the question is the issue that should I learn Torah or should I become a doctor, then I think the stock as we get involved the nuance of the question, but the other ones who do this all these kind of practical, practical things, if you sort of want to eliminate all of that, and you say, well, why would you want to become a doctor? Doctors are good. They're wonderful. They do wonderful things for people. Can't be better than sitting and learning something. That's the position. That's the position of the of Now, the specific question that I want to ask is, what about the Nebuchadnezzar, who kind of spoke into this? He taught us that there is nothing else really worth doing out of this, except for this. Is that the only reasonable position? In order to reopen the question, perhaps that's what people like to do, I'd like to look at a Mishnah and then look at some of the famous kids and then uh, uh, look at some Rishonim. And then, uh, let's say, then we'll call it a day. So the Mishnah, the Mishnah Brahman, that I suppose everybody knows. The Mishnah Brahman, Mishnah Brahman is talking about a good time and uh, a different kind of rule. The Mishnah is talking about a time when people would dive into the and would expand from it as they would dive. They would say, they'd say they're all to be loaded, so to speak. Now, this makes sense that people would do this. Certainly, according to the, it doesn't matter, either the Sheet of the Rambam or the Sheet of the Rambam, when it comes to the Mitzvah of The Rambam says, be lies and mitzvah for the wiser, and therefore everybody has to dive in once a day, and that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that in the Pesachila. The Rambam, however, disagrees with the Rambam, and he says that to be is only a mitzvah to Rambam. But it doesn't really matter, because the Rambam would certainly agree that people always dive in. Uh, the difference is whether, according to the Rambam, there's an obligation to dive in once every day. That's Minhatana. Or, according to the Ramban, there is no such obligation. But it's probably true that, uh, that in either case, everybody agrees that people dive it all the time. Everybody dives every day. It makes sense. When I say everybody, I'm talking about everybody who counts. Right? So everybody who counts, they dive it. Because, uh, that's what religious people do. So they dive it. You know, there's a Mongan Abroad. The Mongan Abroad asked this question. How come? I was like stylizing a little bit. He didn't say it the way I would say it, but I'm going to say it the way I would say it. But then if you want to see what the real, really what the Mughan Abram says, let's look it up. The Mughan Abram says, he can't understand why my grandmother, his grandmother, didn't dabbage for the essay every day. Didn't dabbage. His grandmother, Mughan Abram, Mughan Abram, his grandmother, you know, can't beat the mother of Rome's grandmother, so she didn't dive it. She didn't dive in chakras uh, of intel. Like, like women today are used to do it correctly. Women should dive in chakras. But Morgan of Rome says, My grandmother didn't she dive it. She didn't dive it. He didn't say his grandmother, he talked about women. But I'm saying it, talking about his grandmother. You know, that's like what's dialogue. Like I'm making a good story out of it. But it's a good story anyway. 
father. Rabbi Abraham said, how can my father, my grandmother, tell me that? So, uh, it's clear that his grandmother gets up very early in the morning. You know, as grandmothers are one to do. And she would get up very early in the morning, and she'd clean the house, and she'd cook the food, and there's before anybody else got up. She was up and working away. So, the father Abraham decides he's going to get up early in the morning. Let's see what his grandmother do. So, he got up, and he saw she watched like a lot. And she said the brokers that she had to say. And then she started talking to God. And she said, my, my grandson Yanko has a problem. You gotta, God, you got to help him out with this. You know, he's not doing so well. And then my other third son-in-law and grandson from the other daughter-in-law has a problem. So she would have this, this ongoing conversation with the rebellious lawyer every day. So now I understand. She's davening according to the Rambam's Mitzvah Raisa. Right? They were always, everybody always had to daven. And had to daven, had to create the davening on their own. And so since she holds with the Rambam, what did Rambam say? Well, obviously, her davening is a creation, right? A creation that she uh, is able to do. But in fact, it's probably true that the Rambam would agree that in the early days, that is before the Anshik Nesedat Torah. Before the Anshik Nesedat Torah, people davened. And they davened their own spilot. And so when the Anshik Nesedat Torah established the Shmona Esrei, which then turned into 19 Brachot, because the Jews, the Jews can't stand anything that's not a riddle. Right? This is why you call Shimon Ezra? Because that's 19 right? That's, that's a kind of a, a thing that Jews, like, it's too good. It's too good to miss out on, right? So, uh, so, uh, that's what we did. So, the, the adjectives that go in the Tavim Shimon Ezra. Time for Tanoim, the Gemara says that Shimon Ezra really added, added one more. And then he was Misada of the Brachot. Say there is an important word when it comes to most things. Including, of course, the Seder of the night of, of Pesach. So that at the time the Mishnah was written, even though the Shemona Ezra existed, people were wont to act. They, they davened. They davened in a more liberal and free way than we have. Because even though it's true that the Halakha is that we can add today, we can add Shemona So if you get up to the Bracha Rufa'enu, about having the poor, you know that you're going to add. And in fact, in the new versions of the Art Scroll Center, they even tell you, in other words, like, like it was, there was once a time where there was a fixed Musa, right, refined. And then everybody knew they could add whatever they want. Now, Art Scroll says, even the addition has a fixed Musa. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like everybody's totally anal now. Like you said, nobody's always going to move an inch. Unless somebody says you could do that, you could do that. But in the old times, people would not, people would not, they were not fearful of speaking to the rebellious one. They didn't, they didn't think in terms of doing it right or doing it wrong. But for them, davening was a natural act. And therefore, it was reasonable to expect that people who said the Shemot Esrei, people who said the Shemot Esrei that, that the Anshek Tetzadak Dola, Introduced would also add things in the Shmona right? and then it became a problem because not everything that people might add or did add or would add found favor in the eyes of Tatham. And then it became like a reverse kind of matter. We have a Shmona Esrei, rather the Ajik says that Golat told us what we're supposed to say every day. We can't be, we can't simply let everybody say whatever they want. So there's a Mishnah in Brokhas, which in the Gemara appears as Avlavadabha. The Mishnah says there are certain things that you shouldn't say. There are certain things in Shmona Esra that you shouldn't say. One of them is, <laughs> one of them is Modim Modim. But you shouldn't say, you shouldn't say modem anach longer than modem anach longer. Like enthusiastically, somebody could say, oh, this, I like this paragraph of the Shemot Ezra. I'm going to say it twice. Is there anything wrong with that? 
No, there's nothing wrong with that. You could say the paragraph twice. But if you say modim, modim twice, it looks like maybe you think there are two forces that are directing the world. You know that at that time, the Persian religion, the Persian religion was Jewish. Was called Zarathustrianism or something like that, and and they believed that there was a good, there was God of good, a God of evil, and you had to sort of like deal with this reality. And even though at the end the good would win over the evil, right now there's a lot of evil that has to be placated in the world. So the Jews uh, apparently who lived in those countries where this religion was practiced were somewhat susceptible to them. And so the Hasanim said, listen, we have to fight against you. We don't want the Jews, our people, to accept the tenets of that religion because, you know, it, it leads you in the wrong direction. That's not what we think. In fact, this was so, uh, such a powerful, uh, uh, problem that when they were attacking the, when the, when the Ajaknes Dola created the Kibila, they made this rapat, right? Yotzer or Boris Hashem, which is based on a pasuk. Yotzer or Boris Hashem, Oseh Shalom, Uvorei Etachol. Also, Yishayahu says, Yotzer or Boris Hashem, Oseh Shalom, Uvorei Ra. But that's not a bad thing to say. Because what you mean is that God dominates everything. But the mistake that people might make is that Ra somehow is an independent entity in the world, which also has to be placated in some way. So the Hakamim did something very, very remarkable. And remarkable, you know, when they first mentioned they changed the puzzle. They rewrote the puzzle. I mean, that's really uh, uh, amazing. I mean, today, I think, you know, anybody tried to do that, uh, they would definitely have to move out of our home. Well, how far they have to move, but uh, so they would, but the Chachonim did it. Either if you're a snagging, I told you everything, and if you're a catalyst, it means the sum total of all the spheres. Right? All the spirits somehow come and devolve into Hakon. So, so that's what, that's what the topic is. The topic is what is it people shouldn't say. So then the Mishnah says, the Mishnah says, That's what I'm interested in. So he sits back and says, says, God, you are the God of Kan is there anything wrong so far? God is certainly the God of God is the God who told us that we have to be kind to the birds. Even though I'm not so into the birds, and I don't always get what kindness is, because the idea is you chase away the mother and then you take the eggs, or you take the chicks. I guess if mother comes back, she'd be unhappy. Though. Maybe not. But anyway, this is considered to be by most be shown him a merciful act. So it's like you say, instead of saying, God of mercy, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon my family, have mercy upon whoever is around, you say, God of the ten sikor, God who gave this mitzvah of mercy, have mercy on us. So the Mishnah says no good. We don't like that. And the reason that the Mishnah says I don't like that. In the Gemara, there are two reasons that are reduced. Uh, so what's the reason? What's wrong with saying It seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to say. If God gave the Mitzvah to teach us Rachamim, and if I'm addressing God as the master of mercy, so why not say Kansipor? I mean, what's, uh, what's wrong with that? So the verse says, "My tamor, please betray him, aroy be my rover." There's a machlokes of two tamoraim in Eretz Yisrael, right? In Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Yosi bar Abbas, Rabbi Yosi bar Zvido, two typical Eretz Yisrael type names. Kadoma, Mivnei Shematil Kin Abu Masayv Peshit. One says this 
Rashi explains, Matil kinah lomar elechas velo al she'ar piyota. So you shouldn't say it because after all, then the elephants hear you say it, the kangaroos hear you say it, and and so they all say, "How come God is only only feels sorry for the for the birds and what's wrong with the kangaroos and the the walruses and all the other stuff?" That's one thing, right? I don't say that. But but it's probably because I mean it's a lacking in me. I mean I just like I'm not into that. So I get as far as my bullet, I come home from my bullet. That's what I I don't know anything about But I mean I'm from Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn <laughs> was not the center of animals. So then it says I mean well, in a non metaphorical way. <laughs> so so then the Gemara says, Look a second, how the moment they show semi the subject of his book who rap them in and so we see that, that the second opinion is, the second opinion is that there's a mistake. And the mistake is that I think I can evaluate God. I say, why did God want me to do this? Because God wanted me to see God's mercy. And what did it? The Rabban says, to train me in merciful acts. In, in other words, I look at the mitzvah, and I say that this mitzvah has a pragmatic side to it. Not just a mitzvah, but it comes to develop in me a certain sensitivity. And it's true that this is a mitzvah that's rarely accomplished by everybody. Nevertheless, it's a mitzvah that we can learn about every year when we get to the Gajah. And learning the mitzvah also develops that kind of sensitivity. Because I don't do the mitzvah, but I think about it. I think about why God would want me to, to act in this way. So these are the two principles. So if we look at the second principle, the second principle in the Gemara says that you are looking at things incorrectly. You think that you're able to assess or understand what God wants of us. But in fact, you have to know that these folks are zeros. They're idiots from heaven. And they have no meaning in terms of a system, a thought system between them. And obviously the danger is, like somebody says, that you can't eat meat and milk together because it can harm you in some way. You can't eat pig because it'll cause it'll uh, the bubonic plague or something. So then when you discover that it's not going to be the cause of the bubonic plague, or it's not going to be so hurtful or harmful, then you say, well, what do I need the bits for? I mean, that's a problem that we have whenever we think about, about people. The Rambam says in the Moran of Uthman, the Rambam says in the Moran of Uthman about this question, uh, says, Rambam, you know that the Moran of Uthman, the Moran of Uthman, by the way, was a book that uh, Moshe, the Colonel of Rambam, liked a lot. And he knew it very well. He knew the Moran of Uthman very well. And he liked it a lot. And even though I, I would sometimes uh, tell him that, in my opinion, that it wasn't really so relevant today, people were not interested in that kind of conversation. He would, uh, he disagreed with me forcefully, and he thought that the Moranic Rufin was really uh, a source, first of all, of, of excellent thinking about things, and also uh, brought up uh, understanding that were worthy. That people should be aware of. So the Moranic Rufin says, he's talking about, you know, that the Moranic Rufin, much of the Moranic Rufin, I don't know in great exactly how much, I would say probably a third of the book is about rationalizing this book. Like, what's the rational uh, position that you can come to looking at a particular discussion? So the Ramam says in part three, chapter 48, he says, he's talking about Tanei Mitzvot of a certain time. And he says, you must not allege as an objection against me the dictum of the sages. In, in, in other words, he's like answering a question that hasn't been asked. But he said, I know you've been asked this question. I know you've been asked me this question. I've been answered even before you asked the question. So he says, you must not allege as an objection against me the dictum that he who says, you know, right? The Mishnah says that. 
that that you shouldn't say it. And why shouldn't you say it? Because you are presuming to know something about. You're presuming to know something about the rationale behind what you say. So the Rabbim said, you can't ask me that question. You can't ask me that question. Why? Because I'm, I, I believe in the other opinion. In other words, he says, yeah, it's true that the Mishnah says that. And it's true that the Gemara says that you shouldn't look into the, into the meanings of the mitzvot. But me, I don't belong to that group. I belong to another group. So you look at interesting grammar. Because even though the, you think that the, the Mishnah says something, and there's no difference of opinion. But everybody, everybody agrees. This Mishnah, in fact, appears twice in Shas, which is not, not, uh, uh, regular. Right? It appears once in Brokhas, and it appears again as a Mishnah in the Gilad. We have two places in the Mishnayot that this Mishnah appears, and yet the Rambam says, the Rambam says, I'm not, uh, I'm not into that Mishnah. I'm into the other Mishnah, or the other position. The other position is, yeah, you should look. Try to find out what you really go with. And, interestingly enough, I think, interestingly enough, that the Tosis in his commentary on the Mishnah, the Tosis entire and his commentary on the Mishnah, says the following. I'm trying to finish, so don't get worried. I mean, I'm enthusiastic, but I know I have to finish. Because I could stay for a long time, but I learned that that's not always the case for everybody else. Because the other says this. Because the other says this. Well, I'm going to wrap up saying that. I'm going to wrap up. I mean, after all, look, let's say you wanted to say, uh, I don't care about that mission. But you wouldn't say it. You, know, you say you just say what you want to say. Like what's the rabbi talking about? I mean, rabbi comes and says, "Oh, I know you're going to ask me about that Mishnah. That Mishnah doesn't count." Why would he say a thing like that? That, that, that that's sort of like you know unreasonable. So tells the other says it's simple. Says says you know there's a Yushami says something very simple. Yushami is wrong. Right? Tells the other says. Tells the other says what? He says you have to understand the difference between learning and when you go to God, you stand before God. You don't want to make a mistake. The Gemara says that I care about Dodo, my people, says is problematic sense. And it's only because Moshe Rabbeinu said it that he said it. And it's only because Yante Knesset Abdullah put it into Shmonetre that we could say it was otherwise. If we would have invented Akel we would be saying that God has a limit. These are the adjectives that describe God and no other adjectives. And that, of course, is ridiculous. We can't say a thing like that. So the Tosiyatu says, when you die, you want to be very precise. And you're not going to say things that are open to contradictory interpretation. Like our plans were that we not say. And maybe that's what the Gemara meant, that's what opinion is said, that the animals get nervous it doesn't really matter. What the Mishnah needs to say to us is we understand the point of measure. You can say things about them that you know are true, but not things that can be disputed. So we say, I can't Why the Tansi is a mitzvah, the same thing is true about every mitzvah. So that what the 
they tell us that tries to explain to us. Those who try to explain to us that what the Rambam thought was in spite of the Mishnah. That's the halacha. The Rambam answers the Mishnah halacha in the Mishnah Torah. The Rambam says, look, that's the halacha. You're not allowed to say, I can't see for Yagira Chameva. But that doesn't mean I can't think about it. That thinking about things is much more liberal than the halachic limitations are tabbed. David, you have to David within the halacha. But that doesn't mean that the halacha has shut you off from thinking about it. The last source I would like to mention is the Ra'od, is the Ra'od, Ra'adamalevi, having a bite. You know, the Dolan of Provence, you know, that Provence, and rather than Shodan, was a separate world. France and Germany, and Spain, but France and Germany, one world, Spain, maybe North Africa and Italy, another world, and in between there was a place called Provence, it's still called Provence, it's still there, but there was Jewish Provence, which had its own way of thinking about things, its own, and the Raul, the Halevi, the Ravaran Halevi, the Halevi family was one of the great families of, uh, of Provence, and he's given the Credit sometimes you write to say that, you know, but this is not so important. Okay? <laughs> he says an interesting thing. Do you know why there's a mix of Nazi Bill? Do you know why there's this mix of Nazi To teach us, he says, that it's a difference between the watchfulness of God over world and uh, watchfulness, I mean that word we call Hashemitah. us to act 
And then it may be that the future of the Nebuchadnezzar everyone Thank mm-hmm. you.